All right, we're in Second uh, Chronicles chapter 29 tonight. Second Chronicles chapter 29, we'll be looking at Hezekiah. So let's open a word of prayer and then we'll get started. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we can gather together as the body of Christ and open our own personal copy of, of your word to us and pray that you would apply uh, the truths that we learn tonight from Hezekiah and his, his service to the Lord. And, and we just pray that you would um, uh, just speak to each individual uh, through your word tonight. And Lord, we just thank you for your goodness and your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I want to read Second uh, Chronicles chapter 29, the whole chapter, so you can just follow along in your Bibles. It's <coughs> quite a bit, but... Verse 1 says, uh, Hezekiah began to reign when he was 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all uh, that David his father had done. In the first year of his reign... In the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. And we're going to talk a little bit about this. Uh, verse 4, he, re, he brought in the priests and the Levites and assembled them in the square on the east and said to them, Hear me, Levites. They were the ones in charge of the temple. Now consecrate yourselves and consecrate the house of the Lord, the God of your fathers, and carry out the filth from the holy place. For our fathers have been unfaithful and have done what is evil in the sight of our, the Lord our God and have forsaken him and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs. They also shut the doors of the vestibule and put out the lamps and have not burned incense or offered burnt offerings in the holy place to the God of Israel. Therefore the wrath of the Lord came on Judah and Jerusalem and he has made them an object of horror of astonishment and of his scene, as you see with your own eyes. Verse 9, For behold, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, to order that his fierce anger may turn away from us. My sons, do not now be uh, negligent, for the Lord has chosen you to stand in his presence, to minister to him and to be his ministers and make offerings to him. <coughs> then he lists a bunch of people there. And the Levites arose, Mahath, the son of uh, Amasai, and Joel, the son of Azariah, and the sons of the Kohathites, and the sons of Merari, Kish, the son of Abdi, and Azariah, the son of Jahalel, and of the Gershonites, uh, Joah, the son of Zimna, and Eden, the son of Joah, and the sons of Elipham, Shimri, and Jeuel, and of the sons of Asaph, Zechariah, and Mataniah, and of the sons of Heman, Jehuel, and Shimei, and the sons of Judathun, Shemeah, uh, and Uziel. And they gathered, verse 15, their brothers and consecrated themselves and went in as the king had commanded and by the words of the Lord to cleanse the house of the Lord. 
And the priests went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it, to cleanse it, and they brought out all the uncleanness that they found in the temple of the Lord in the court of the house of the Lord. And the Levites took it and they carried it out to the brook Kid, Kidron, and they began to conse- consecrate on the first day of the first month, and on the eighth day of the month they came to the vestibule of the Lord. That's how much stuff was in there. Then for eight days they consecrated the house of the Lord. And on the 16th day of the first month, they finished. Then they went to, king, uh, to Hezekiah the king and said, We have cleansed all the house of the Lord, the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils, and the table for the showbread and all its utensils, and all the utensils that King Ahaz discarded in his reign when he was faithless, we have made ready and consecrated, and behold, they are before the altar of the Lord. Verse 20. Then Hezekiah the king rose early and gathered the officials of the city and went up to the house of the Lord. And they brought seven bulls, seven rams, seven lambs, and seven male goats for a sin offering for the kingdom and for the sanctuary and for Judah. And he commanded the priests, the sons of Aaron, to offer them on the altar of the Lord. So they slaughtered the bulls, and the priests received the blood and threw it against the altar. And they slaughtered the rams, and their blood was thrown against the altar. And they slaughtered the lambs, um, they slaughtered the rams, and their blood was thrown against the altar. And they slaughtered the lambs, and their blood was thrown against the altar. Then the goats for the sin offering were brought to the king and the assembly, and they laid their hands on them, and the priests slaughtered them, and made a sin offering with their blood on the altar to make atonement for all of Israel. For the king commanded that the burnt offering... And the sin offering should be made for all of Israel. And he stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, harps, and lyres, according to the commandment of David and of Gad, the king's seer, and of Nathan, the prophet. For the commandment was from the Lord through his prophets. Verse 26, the Levites stood with the instruments of David and the priests with the trumpets. Then Hezekiah commanded that the burnt offering be offered on the altar And when the burnt offering began, the song to the Lord began also. And the trumpets accompanied by the instruments of David, king of Israel. The whole assembly worshipped, and the singers sang, and the trumpeters sounded. All this continued until the burnt offering was finished. When the offering was finished, the king and all who were present with him bowed themselves and worshipped. And Hezekiah, the king, and the officials commanded the Levites, to sing praises to the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. And they sang praises with gladness, and they bowed down and worshipped. Verse 31, Then Hezekiah said, You have now consecrated yourselves to the Lord. Come near, bring sacrifices and thank offerings to the house of the Lord. And the assembly brought sacrifices and thank offerings. And all who were of a willing heart brought burnt offerings. The number of the burnt offerings that the assembly brought was 70 bulls, 100 rams, and 200 lambs. All of these for a burnt offering to the Lord. And the consecrated offerings were 600 bulls and 3,000 sheep. But the priests were too few and could not flay all the burnt offerings. So So until other priests had consecrated themselves, their brothers the Levites helped until the work was finished. For the Levites were more upright in heart than the priests in consecrating themselves. Besides the great number of burnt offerings, there was the fat of the peace offering 
and there was the drink offerings for the burnt offerings. Uh, thus the service of the house of the Lord was restored, and Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced because God had provided for the people, for the thing came about suddenly. Um, it's interesting, you read that chapter and you, you can't forget where we were last week, right? The end of chapter 28, dealing with Ahaz's idolatry, and he, he closed down the temple, basically, gave away all the utensils for worship, sold them, and and, and just uh, really filled it with a bunch of junk, apparently. And uh, we see how long it took him to clean it out. Um, it's hard to understand that, but that's, that's what happened. And it really speaks of a revival, right? This is what you would call a spiritual revival. And tonight I want to look at how spiritual revival comes. A lot of people think, oh, you just put a church up in front of your sign and say, revival tonight. <laughs> you know, that doesn't work that way. Okay. Uh, America, I think all of us would, would agree America needs spiritual renewal, spiritual revival, right? Um, most of us would say amen to that. Uh, the city of Redwood City <laughs> needs revival. Um, the churches of Redwood City need revival. Uh, Grace Bible Church needs revival. And we, we say a hearty amen to all that. But when we get down to individuals, we need revival too. Then we kind of say, hey, now wait a minute. You're getting a little too close to home here. Um, because we, we like revival for everybody else. But when it comes to revival in our own lives or our own hearts, we kind of uh, pause at that. And, and the reason is just because we get a little nervous. Because re revival really implies that the thing needing revival isn't really healthy, right? I don't think Kai, when he's out in his ambulance, uh, just drives down the street and just picks up random people and says, hey, we got to revive you. No. Okay, it doesn't work that way. You know, um, you revive people who are not healthy. Uh, that's what they do. And so revival also implies change. Revival always implies something has to change. Uh, and that, that threatens us as individuals. I don't know about you, but I don't like change. I like things done the same way, usually, a lot of times. Um, and if it works, why, why change it, right? That's my mentality. That's not always good, by the way, but that's how I think of things. And, and that threatens us because even though if we're not doing well spiritually, okay, as believers, uh, we tend to get comfortable. We tend to get predictable, even in our spiritual lives and our spiritual growth. Um, but I suggest that we all are in constant need of spiritual renewal, uh, day in and day out. Um, every day, the world, the flesh, the devil seek to pull us back into some kind of spiritual lethargy, some kind of spiritual laziness that chokes the new life that, that started when we were saved, when we were washed of the, the regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, as Titus says. Um, and it seems like after we become a believer, we're kind of like silver. You know, we had um, a silver setting in our home in Pennsylvania. And I remember <coughs> my sister-in-law was constantly having to polish that silver. I mean, uh, you know, every, every third week, she'd take the whole silver thing and she'd have to clean it because it would what? It was exposed to the elements. It would begin to tarnish, okay? And if you've ever seen tarnished silver, it doesn't look very nice. But when it's all polished up, it's, it's beautiful. And so um, 
a lot of times, that's what happens to us. We get tarnished. We grow dull spiritually. The world takes its toll on us after a while, and we're constantly in need of renewal or spiritual revival. But we not only need it individually, we also need it (coughs) corporately, I think, as God's people, not just this church, but in general. Um, and, And corporate revival really happens when God's Spirit moves on a group of His people. (coughs) <coughs> and a lot of times it happens through many groups at the same time. It's not just one little church that has a revival. It's, it's through, through many groups. And um, what happens when revival comes, and it comes from the Lord's Spirit, um, you have a new awareness of God's holiness. You have a new awareness of your own sinfulness before a holy God. And you have also a, a great thankfulness in your heart for His abundant grace. Um, because you realize how much you need it at that point. And it it always results in God's people confessing and and forsaking uh, sin. And that's just what happens in in authentic, I'll say, revivals. And there's usually an increase in conversions. People are saved miraculously from their sin, and there's a great joy in the Lord. Um, You can't plan... A revival, you can't program true revival. It's, it's truly a sovereign act of God. It's always, when you look throughout Scripture, whenever there's a revival, it happened because God did it. It wasn't because somebody put up a tent and hung a sign or something like that. Um, it's, it is from the first to the last a work of God, much like our own salvation, really. Um, but at time, these conditions that, that you know, can meet... We can meet together. At, uh, revival seems to happen, and it's, it's a work of the Lord. Well, there's a couple things tonight I want to look at, and there's essential factors if we want to talk, walk daily in the, in the freshness of, of our walk with the Lord. And there's three important factors for spiritual renewal that we're going to look at tonight um, because spiritual renewal comes through commitment, through cleansing, and expresses itself through celebration. All right, and we see that basically outlined in the text for us. There was a call to commitment, there was a cleansing, and then there was a celebration. And so the first thing here, spiritual renewal comes through a commitment to the Lord. This is in verses 1 through 11. And you have to remember back, like I said, uh, chapters, uh, 20, 20, uh, chapter 28, when Ahaz basically, it, it was dismal spiritually for Judah at this point. Um, he was basically a a wicked king. This is Hezekiah's father. Um, And he began by introducing idol worship alongside of the worship of the Lord. He didn't turn off the worship of the Lord. He said, well, we just want to bring some other stuff in here because there's other countries that do it and we want them to feel all inclusive. So we'll, we'll worship their gods too. And that's what he began to do. And it ended up and I, it may have started innocently on his part. He should have known better, but it, it, I don't think he intended to do this. But basically, it ended up closing the doors of the temple of the true God. And they ended up sacrificing to the gods of Damascus. And they established idol worship centers in every Judean town. All right? And this is Ahaz's apostasy. This is what the evil king Ahaz ended up doing. And so what did God do? The Lord stirred up enemies, as we've seen over and over and over, against uh, uh, Judah. 
and uh, against King Ahaz from every side. You had the Philistines were invading from the west. You had the Edomites were taking territory uh, in the east. Uh, but the most ominous threat was from the north where Ahaz, he tried to, to uh, buy a friendship, remember, uh, with Tilglath-Pileser of Assyria. And we talked about that last week. And that held him at a distance for a little while um, he, he, to, to polish off the northern kingdom of Israel and their neighbor to the north, Syria. But whenever you appease people like this, it only feeds the monster and it made him stronger. And now he turned on Judah itself and he began to threaten Judah. And the Assyrian army was known for its brutality, uh, for its awesome power, and they, they constantly were a threat. Um, and if they overran Judah, basically thousands of people would be slaughtered, families would be torn apart, people would be hauled away as slaves, captives, and the worship of God among his people would be a thing of the past. That's where they were. They were at kind of a tipping point in their country, <clears throat> in their nation. And if you were Hezekiah taking the leadership at that point, under those conditions, um, what would be your first priority? <coughs> if you think about it, <coughs> logically, it might be to make sure you have a strong army because there's people coming for you, right? Well, that's not what he does. Um, in light of the desperate historical setting, the words of verse 3 basically take on a heightened significance. When it says there in, in verse um, Verse 3, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, what did he do? He opened up the doors of the house of the Lord and he repaired them. He repaired them. He knew. He, he, he knew he, they were in the predicament they were in because of the, the spiritual problems of the previous king. And so what did he do? He started to write some executive orders, we would say today, right? And reestablish some basic common sense. Uh, we long for that day now <laughs> in our own country. And so what's he do? He, he reopens the house of the Lord. He repairs the doors and he calls for the priests and the Levites. And he says, you know what? I'm going to charge you. First of all, you have to consecrate yourselves because you're called to a holy task. I want to make sure you're right with the Lord. And secondly, you're going to consecrate the house of the Lord because it's been um, run over uh, to reverse all these awful conditions introduced by his father. And so he shares with them what's in his heart, namely to make a covenant of the Lord. And that's what he says there in, in verse, verse 10. He says, now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel. So he really wanted to make things right for his people. And... Um, he repeats the charge to them, don't be negligent now. In other words, this is so important that now's the time to be praying. Now's the time to really be pure and holy before the Lord. You don't want to mess this up because he says, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him to minister to him. So he brought back some uh, seriousness to being involved in this ministry for the Lord. It wasn't a joke. It wasn't something that you just did on the weekend. It was a very serious situation. And so his first priority in the face of national crisis was to call the nation and its leaders back to a proper commitment to God. I mean, I wonder what effect that would have if we actually had a president that was willing to do that. 
I mean, it, that would be amazing to see how God could possibly honor that. Um, and so you learn several things here from his example. First of all, commitment to God is the most pressing need in a time of pressing need. Now, we don't get that because when we're in a time of pressing need, when we're facing a crisis, um, the, the human response is to focus on what? On the crisis, right? That's all we see. That's all we can see, right? If, if you're a king facing a military threat, well, then you focus on the army. You strengthen the army. <clears throat> if you're facing a <clears throat> health crisis, the first thing you do, you get the proper medical authorities involved. Um, if you lost your job, the first priority, well, you've got to find another job. If your marriage is in trouble, you focus on your marriage. If your teenager is rebellious, you focus on dealing with your teenager. Um, now, I'm not saying that we should ignore the problems. I'm not saying that. We don't just go put our head in the sand and ignore everything. They demand our attention, and, and we would be negligent not to attend to them. But what I'm saying is that Hezekiah's example shows us the most pressing need in time of need is to renew our commitment to the Lord. Only after that we've done that are we free to seek out his will on how to deal with the pressing problems in our life. And that's very important to, to get that point. Um, often the very reason that God sends the problem is to get what? Our attention to get us to stop doing whatever we're doing and to get our priorities back in line. That's why we have issues in our life. <clears throat> That's why we have trials. That's why we have tribulations. It's to better our spiritual growth, to make us more like Christ, to keep us dependent on God. We know that. We've been talking about that for weeks. And once we do that, he often deals with the problems in ways that we could never even think of dealing with it. I mean, sometimes we're facing a problem and there's no answer, apparently. And we just want to throw our hands up and walk away. But God says, no, do things the right way and it will resolve. I will, I will, I will help you out through this problem. Um, and so even though we put much of our efforts into our problems and we don't see any fruit for it, we have a hard time learning <coughs> that lesson that we have to understand the most pressing need in time of need is is commitment to the Lord. Secondly, commitment to God brings hope into the darkest of situations. And I know most of you have been through things in your life and you could say amen to that, right? Hezekiah could have looked around and he said, wow, these things really, my dad really messed things up here. He shut down the temple. Everybody's worshiping idols. Um, we lost a lot of our territory uh, to other nations just through battles that we've lost. Um, and now we're under the, this, this tyrate who's coming after us. Uh, who wants to be king, right? I think I'll just relax here in my palace and, and do nothing. He could have grown very, very depressed. He could have grown angry. He could have been paralyzed into doing absolutely nothing. That's what happens to some people when they're faced with overwhelming obstacles. It, it paralyzes them. They're like a deer caught in the headlights. They can't do anything. And we have to be reminded that that's, that's not the place for the child of God to be. Uh, we don't need to go there. Instead, what did he do? He committed himself to follow the Lord in spite of his circumstances. He, he focused on his relationship with the Lord. He rallied the priests to reopen the temple for worship. He called the nation and the people back to God. 
And as soon as God breaks into any situation, what happens? The darkness just disappears. It's dispelled by the light of his presence. And that's what happens. And down throughout history, God has broken into the worst of situations. We've all heard testimonies of people, and we've seen it throughout history. He's broken through the darkness to bring hope and, and light. When humanly speaking, uh, there was anything but hope. They were hopeless. You think of some of the, the people involved with the Reformation. Okay, Spiritual conditions at the time of the Reformation were very dismal. The Roman Catholic Church was corrupt beyond description. It's hard to understand how corrupt they were. And then God converted a, a German monk named Martin Luther and a French lawyer named John Calvin. And through those men and many others down through the ages, the good news of Christ that he died for the sinners of the world and that his forgiveness and eternal life are a free gift for all those who trust in him began to be proclaimed. You didn't have to pay for it. You didn't owe the church something for your salvation. And all of a sudden, what happened? Hope broke into this, this dismal, darkened, hopeless situation. The same thing happened even during the English Revival in the 18th century with the Wesleys and George Whitfield. You can read about that in history. Some historians argue that England would have faced a bloody revolution similarly to that in France if the revival had not taken place. because People were just fed up. It applies to our nation at this time. Even today, we see sin abounding. We see people are flaunting. There's sin everywhere. Uh, religious liberties are taken away from us. The Judeo-Christian base, which used to be the underline of our whole political system, has been eroded beyond measure. Even the Christian church seems anemic. It seems polluted with sin um, from the leadership down to the congregation completely. But if we as God's people will commit ourselves fully to him, guess what? This, this not, doesn't have to be the end. There is hope. There is hope. Um, if God will break into the church and into our nation with his light, okay, uh, with his hope, there's no limit to what we can see happen. So that's corporately, but it also applies to us personally. And that's where it starts, really. Um, maybe tonight you're facing a hopeless situation. You're discouraged with your job, your circumstances, whatever it might be, life in general, I don't know. Um, and you've given every ounce of your energy trying to make it right and, and deal with it, but it seems like every door is closed to no avail. Um, but can you conceive of any problem that is too big for God? I hope not. I hope not. Because if God breaks into your situation, guess what? There is hope. The main thing is that we need to renew our commitment to him. We need to be honest and transparent about that. Judson, the great pioneer missionary to Burma, was suffering from fever in a sinking, rat-infested prison. He had seen little fruit from his years of hard work and sacrifice. He's gone through many setbacks at this point, various hardships. And a letter from a friend arrived which asked, Judson's, how's the outlook? <laughs> how's it going, pal? And he replied, the outlook is as bright as the promises of God. 
That's amazing. It's amazing. See, commitment to God brings hope, even to the darkest situations. Thirdly, commitment to God also always involves a radical commitment to his word. And this is important as well. Not just a pressing understanding that it's the most pressing need in a time of pressing need, being committed to God and bringing hope into the darkest of situations. But commitment to God always, always focuses and involves a radical commitment to his word. Uh, by a radical commitment to his word, I mean a commitment that goes beyond tradition, goes beyond the current custom, that goes beyond and against the way we were raised, if need be. Um, it goes back to a complete obedience to what God's word teaches about how we're to live our lives in a, in a way that's honoring to him. Well, undergirding Hezekiah's reforms is an understanding by him of what the law of Moses prescribed. And it's a, it's a commitment to follow that. His, his commitment was to follow that completely. Um, he knew what was clean and unclean. Look at verse 5. He says, and he said, hear me, uh, Levites, come now, consecrate yourselves and consecrate the house of the Lord. He knew what was not, what was not right. Verse 7, he also knew what the proper incense offerings and burnt offerings were that had been neglected. He said, we're not going to continue as the normal here. We're, gonna, we're going to uh, change things up and go back to what God's word says. And we haven't done things properly we've neglected these we're going to bring these back and then in verse 15 he had gained in the, this understanding from god's word this is what he he, he says in, in verse 15 they gathered their brothers and consecrated themselves and went in as king commanded by the words of what the lord okay so spiritual renewal is always 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 centered on a renewal of the authority of god's word do you believe in the authority of God's word? Again, we also we can also uh, only understand how radical this was for Hezekiah if we remember the his background being raised by this crazy dad of his in uh, the spiritual climate he grew up in. He didn't grow up. You wouldn't say he grew up in a Christian home, okay? Uh, to use the terminology of today, uh, his father was an abusive, self-centered man who, as we talked about last week, actually sacrificed some of his own sons, that would have been Hezekiah's brothers, to idols, to the pagan god Moloch. He offered him as a sacrifice, his own kids. This is how warped this guy was. And Ahaz had set up these idol worship centers throughout the whole country. And so Hezekiah easily could have been rebellious. He could have been angry. He could have been mad at God. Why do you let me grow up with this? He could have been mad at his abusive father. He could have just went along with the evil of his day, what he knew. You know, he didn't drift into the direction he took, is what my point is. This was very uh, specific. He had made a commitment to go against all the evil ways of his dad. Look at verse 6. For our fathers have been unfaithful and have done what was evil in the sight of the, the Lord our God. They have forsaken him and have turned away their faces 
from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs. So he understood exactly what they did, and he made a commitment to follow God's word even when it ran counter-culture, counter, uh, uh, ran counter to the culture that he was living in. Some of the evil customs that were being practiced, I'm sure they, those people didn't appreciate his newfound interest in opening up the temple and worshiping the only true God. And so a radical commitment to God's word means that even though you may have had an angry, abusive, self-centered parents, you confront your own anger, your abusiveness, and self-centeredness so that it doesn't continue in your own family. In other words, you break the chain, right? You hear people all the time who have maybe their... Uh, they have abuse issues or whatever. Ah, I was raised in that kind of a family and that's why I'm the way I am. Well, make a change. Ask the Lord to change you. Come to the Lord. You don't need to continue that way. That's just an excuse. Um, commitment puts God's word into life by obeying it when it confronts the way we live. You know, it's easy to, to come and listen to a message, but are we going to obey what the word of God is instructing us to do? Or we just let it go in one ear and out the other and check the box. Yeah, we were there. Uh, spiritual renewal always comes through a renewed commitment to God and his word. The second element here, number two, of spiritual renewal or spiritual revival is cleansing. Spiritual renewal comes through cleansing in accordance with God's word. Once again, the God's word is always the basis here. Note that reform or, or renewal always starts with the person, right, and moves outward to the church. That's what he says in verse 5, right? He says, hey, you guys got to consec consecrate yourselves first. Consecrate yourselves, and then we'll focus on the house of the Lord. All right? Many of these priests had fallen into unfaithfulness uh, through the adultery, wor idolatry worship that was going on. And so they had to deal with their own sin before a holy God before they could even begin processing uh, the cleansing of the temple. And Hezekiah understood that. And the, the lesson for us is we have to understand that God can't use us to impact others for Christ until we first cleanse ourselves from any known defilement. We can't be living in known sin and then expecting God to use us somehow. That's not going to work. These priests also had a lot of garbage to deal with, if you think about it. It took them 16 days, think about it, to haul out all the idols and the other junk from the temple. That's a, that's a lot. I mean, I remember when we went back and cleaned out my sister's house, it took us 10 days. I can't imagine doing it for another seven days. But thank God, if we're willing to, to clean up our, our lives, even if it takes a while to shovel all the muck out, get all the garbage out, guess what? He will restore us, and he will use us again for his purpose. That's the application here for us personally. And in Hezekiah's revival, as soon as the temple was cleansed, what did they do? They gathered in worship, and they offered sacrifices to the Lord. And we notice here three sacrifices, three kinds of sacrifices that were offered. In verse 21, it says sin offerings. In verse 27, it says burnt offerings. And then at the end, verse 31, it talks about thank offerings. And so these, these kinds of offerings basically 
are types of the kind of cleansing and consecration that we need as worshipers of, of God. This is what we need to apply personally. The sin offering, what did that picture? It pictured substitution. It, it spoke of God's holiness and his justice. And they understood that a demand for that was the penalty of our sin was death. We understand that today. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, we read it almost every, or I refer to it at least every communion time, without the shedding of blood, there's what? There's no forgiveness for sin. The slaughter of these animals and the sprinkling of their blood on the altar pictured for the people the perfect sacrifice for our sins that would be accomplished down the road when Jesus Christ came to earth and he died on the cross. Those animals didn't pay for any sins. They were looking forward to the sacrifice of Christ. And so for the person to be cleansed, I mean, just so you understand what was going on here, you know, if you're an animal, animal lover, I apologize, but this is what God set up, right? I mean, when you look at all this blood and this slaughtering, these pe poor animals, I mean, it's crazy. Um, but when the person was to be cleansed, he had to lay his hands on the head of the animal as the priest slit the throat of the animal. Now, if you've ever seen someone slaughter an animal that way, um, you know, I mean, the, the, as soon as you cut the throat, the heart just doesn't stop pumping. I don't want to get real graphic, but I mean, there's blood everywhere to, to basically say that. It's, it's going all over the place. And it, that would identify himself with that shedding blood on his behalf. And, and what the picture was, was his sin, sins were transferred to the animal which died in his place. That was the picture. And even so, there's no cleansing from sin unless you have faith identified uh, yourself by faith with Jesus Christ and his death for your behalf. That's where we find forgiveness today. And so you had the sin offering that was made. But you also had a burnt offering. And that was the, the second one there. Um, the burnt offering pictured consecration. Burnt offering pictured something that was kind of set apart. It was offered up totally to the Lord. Uh, in other words, the, worship didn't, the worshiper, whoever was doing it, didn't eat any of this offering. It represented the, the complete surrender and the holiness demanded of those who received, who have received God's forgiveness. Um, our response to God's mercy in becoming our sin offering should be to give ourselves completely to him. Right? That's what we're told to do. In, in Hebrew, or, uh, Romans 12.1. Right? Romans 12, 1. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you what? That you present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable or your spiritual service of worship. Okay, so we're consecrating ourselves because of our salvation, because of the sin offering of Christ. Now we're in Christ, and, and, and we want to be set apart to Christ completely. And that's the same message that Jesus taught through the gospel. If you want to follow me, great. Pick up your cross, die daily to yourself, then you can follow me. Right? I mean, that's the message. It's not, hey, let's go. We're going to go have a party. Let's party in Jesus. No, that's not the message of, of, of the cross, of the gospel. And a lot of people think, well, all you have to do is believe, believe, believe the gospel. Believe. No, you have to obey the gospel. We're not called just to believe the gospel. We're called to obey the gospel. And people forget that. 
And we can only do that through his power, through his calling, through his effectual saving of our souls. But that's, that's what the effectual call meets itself out to be in our lives. So you had the sin offering, the burnt offering, and then the third offering was the thank offering. In this picture, devotion. It pictured worship. Uh, these were completely voluntary offerings. You didn't have to do this, but you wanted to because you, you can imagine God doing all this stuff for you, uh, expressing love and gratitude for God's many blessings. It's really a picture of our New Testament church offerings that we take every Sunday, right? We don't tell you what to give. We don't say, oh, you have to give 10% or you have to give 20% or you, you know. No, we, we say you give as God directs you. Hopefully, you'll give sacrificially because you'll be so thankful. Uh, Hebrews 13, 15 says, Through Christ, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name and do not neglect doing good and sharing for with such sacrifices God is pleased. And we're to, we're to give out of the overflowing gratitude that's in our heart. Colossians 2, 7 tells us that. And so these, these burnt offerings and thank offerings move into the third area here of renewal, which is celebration, or you could call it today corporate worship, right? Um, we can't experience spiritual revival or renewal, whether individually or corporately, unless we appropriate God's cleansing through the blood of Christ, through confessing our sins, through repenting of our sins, um, and getting that idolatrous crud out of our lives, just like was pictured here in the text. Um, so it starts with commitment, it continues with cleansing, but it culminates in celebration. This is the third thing here on the back of your outline there. Um, celebration results, expresses itself, Spiritual renewal expresses itself in celebration with God's people. And this is really what we do on Sunday mornings, right? We have a worship service, right? Why are we there? We're there to worship the Lord. We're there to worship the Lord in celebration, okay? A celebration results from knowing what? Our sins are forgiven. I mean, that's why we gather together. That's why, you know, we're not on Sunday morning singing songs that are, you know, Oh, woe is me, and, you know, gee, I'm kind of under the judgment and the wrath of God. No, we're singing about God's forgiveness. Now, there's, there's seriousness to it. It's not just a big party. But at the same time, um, this is what they did in verse 27. Look at what it says. When the burnt offerings began, the song to the Lord also began with the trumpets. Um, they had quite a, a worship service going on here. Uh, there's some churches that don't allow instruments in their building on Sunday morning, which is just crazy to me, but that's what they do. Everything's a cappella, just voices. But that's not biblical. By even what we see here in verses 25 to 28, they had cymbals, Ken. They had harps, lyres, Rudy. <laughs> they had trumpets, singing, voices. Everybody was involved in this. And it, and it really, uh, celebration really, that word celebration really is, is, it communicates what they were doing. They were celebrating 
their renewal in the Lord. Um, they weren't just mumbling through some service. And you notice that they sang praises with joy in verse 30. They sang praises with joy. And there's some people, I see them every morning, Sunday morning, they're just standing there, they're not singing. Um, and that's not what we're called to do, especially if we know Christ. Now, if you're a visitor and you don't know Christ, that's different. Hopefully the music will move you to sing. But here they sang with joy. Um, ask yourself, do you sing that way? This was convicting for me because a lot of times, you know, Sunday morning, it's just a lot going on, right? So I'm just kind of get through the song. I, I can't always say that I'm singing with joy. I'm, I'm more task-oriented, okay? And so it's, it's I don't think you should just, you know, lose the task and just, you know, whatever. Go for it and, and just be all emotional about it either. You have to have some order and everything. But you know what? I can tell you a lot of times, and, and I don't know if you've ever noticed, but when I'm singing certain songs, they touch my heart, and I can't sing. I literally can't sing. I feel like I'm going to start crying. Okay, and I'm not, that, I'm not that kind of a gushy guy, but God just somehow steps in and goes, okay, I'm going to make you feel a little emotion here, Steve, and you're going to have to deal with it. Um, and, and sometimes there's just a lump in your throat, and I'm sure you've done the same thing. And it comes out of the joy of knowing that, wow, this same God that we're singing to is the same God that created me. He knew everything about me. Then he forgave me of everything I did and everything I will ever do. And he allows me to serve him. Uh, I mean, if, if that joy doesn't creep into your heart when you're singing praises to, to God on Sundays, you, you might want to go back. You might need a revival in your own heart, frankly. <laughs> you know, you, you, you may have a, a heart of stone and not of flesh. Um, and when you realize, and it doesn't have anything to do with the music. It has nothing to do with what kind of music it is. It doesn't, it's, 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 you're focused on the words. You're, you're just the idea that, you know, you're there with the congregation and you're singing together um, to your God. It's, it's a wonderful thing. When you realize that God has moved in your heart to reveal Christ as the perfect sacrifice for all of your sins, I mean, how can you mumble through a song that's written to exalt him with no joy at all? Um, I pray that if visitors come to our church, the one thing they see in the hearts of our people and in our worship is they sense joy. They sense a sense of, of freedom in worship. Um, because that's going to say, well, what are they so excited about? You know? And some people say, well, I'm not that way. You know, I'm just not, I don't wear my emotions on my sleeve. Right, but you'll go to a, a Giants game and go crazy in the stands, right? I mean, go figure. You know, it's, you, you can't, you know, you can't get around this. And I think we just need to be, be embrace that. Um, so they were, they were joyous, but also look at, they were also reverent. And this is where, un unfortunately, the modern-day church has lost some of this, right? They're so focused on the joy aspect thing. They have a big party on Sunday morning. The reverence is out the door. <laughs> um, but look at what it says in verse 30. They not only sang praises with joy, but what's it say? They bowed down and worshipped. They had a sense of, of awe in the presence of God. Uh, bowing down they really showed, what does that show? It shows their submission to the Lord. Um, 
you know, we just have to, to be reminded of that. I mean, we, we serve, uh, to use modern-day vernacular, an awesome God, right? I mean, we really do. And sometimes, you know, we, we sing that song, our God is an awesome God. We haven't sang that in a while. Maybe we'll sing that again. But um, it's a good song because it, it focuses us back on, on who God is. Um, we need to remember constantly that we are together when we are here. We are here to worship him. We're here to worship him. Every Sunday morning at 8 o'clock, the worship team gathers together. We have a worship uh, devotion, and then we have a time of prayer till about 8.30. And it's, it's always a focus. Someone in the group always prays, Lord, we're not here to entertain anybody. We're here to lead our congregation in worship. You know, um, so he invited the consecrated people in verse 31, and I thought that was an interesting application too, because those are the only people who can really worship God um, uh, correctly anyway. Um, he, 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 he kind of boils it down to the, the consecrated. You have now consecrated yourselves to the Lord. Come near, right? And bring sacrifices and thank offerings to the house of the Lord. And I say this frequently, but it's very important to understand. When we gather on Sunday morning, we're here for, for the church. We're here for those who have been called out for the assembly uh, around the word, the teaching of the word, the worship of Christ. That's why we're here. Now, I'm not saying you don't invite your neighbor who's not a Christian to something like that. That's fine. But just know, they're, they're, they're probably going to feel a little awkward, okay, because they, they don't know God, they can't worship God, and they see all the stuff going on around them. They're, they're not just going to go, wow, this is wonderful. I mean, I mean, I can't wait to come back next week. No. Hopefully, through the teaching of the Word, there's gonna, they're going to feel some sense of conviction. And if God is working in their heart, then maybe He's giving them a desire for that. But normally, that's not the case. And that's why a lot of times when we're talking about evangelistic things and evangelism, people always say, well, yeah, you know, pray for my brother or pray for my kid or pray for my cousin. You know, I want to bring you. They're not a Christian. I'm going to bring them to church next Sunday. And I often want to say, why don't you lead them to the Lord, then bring them to church? You know, give them the gospel first, then bring them to church. Now, I'm not saying you can't just invite them to church, but, you know, you can do that. You can share your testimony with them. You can prepare the soil uh, before they come. And hopefully that's in your heart. And so that, that same expression there, come near and bring sacrifices, is used uh, throughout the book of Hebrews. And uh, we're invited to draw near, right, in, in Hebrews 10, 19, uh, through the blood of Christ as we assemble it together. Um, we don't gather here on Sundays to entertain anybody. Uh, we meet with the Lord himself to come near to him. That's where our focus should be. So our worship celebration should be both joyful and reverent in his presence. And, uh, you know, it, it always blows my mind when I hear people, and usually they don't say this to me, but I hear it through other people. They come to a service, and they're supposed to be Christians, and um, they leave mumbling. And usually their mumbling is, well, I didn't get anything out of that. <laughs> and it's like, okay, you know what? If that's the point, uh, you got it all wrong. Uh, the point is, did the Lord get anything out of you? That should be more the point. Uh, what did you do? 
How did you serve um, rather than just coming to receive? And I love verse 36 concluding this because it's such a joyous thing. He said, then Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced over what God had prepared for the people because the thing uh, came about suddenly. Notice that God prepared it. God did this. They didn't plan this revival. Oh, we got six months working on this revival thing we're going to have. No. This was something God did sovereignly. That's why it happened suddenly. There was a joyous spontaneity to the whole thing. Um, and, and sometimes, Sunday mornings, I mean, we try to stay on track, but sometimes... You know, and it's not an audible voice. It's nothing. It's like, you know what? We're singing a song. It's like, you know what? We're going to sing this chorus again. We're going to sing this verse again. And I know people in the sound booth doing the words are like, well, you said you were only going to sing it. Well, you know what? Sorry. You know, and even the own, our own worship team. I mean, Ken and I have been playing together so long. It's just like, yeah, okay, well, wherever he's going, I'll just follow. You know, but, but you know, uh, sometimes that's where God takes us. And, um, you know, we have, to, we have to be okay with that. The birth of our Savior had been prepared from ages past, and yet suddenly, it said, there was an angel, the multitude of angels, of the heavenly hosts praising God. In Acts, we read that suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. And yet, this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel, it tells us, hundreds of years before. Prepared by God, but what, what happened? It happened suddenly. And God's people rejoiced. And, and God, not Hezekiah, not King Hezekiah, he didn't get the glory, God did. And so I'll end where I began. Spiritual revival in our nation begins with revival in our own hearts. Um, John Wesley said this, Give me 100 men who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, and I will shake the world. So if we want revival, we first must commit ourselves completely to the Lord. We must cleanse ourselves of all defilement of the flesh and the spirit, um, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And we must understand how to join together in corporate celebration of the abundant grace and goodness that God extends to us to who all will draw near to him through the blood of Christ. Um, so... And if God's spirit moves in a mighty way in our midst, we'll rejoice uh, because the whole thing came about suddenly. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We pray, Lord, that you would help us apply this to our own first, our own personal life. And Lord, understand that King Hezekiah uh, really was uh, not living just out of habit. He, he really felt a call from the Lord. Obviously, his background, his life, his father, everything was totally messed up. But Lord, you were clear uh, in your calling of him to do your work. And so, Father, we pray for that same resolve in our own hearts. Lord, we may not be a king or something like that, but Lord, we are believers and, and we do know Christ. And Lord, you do have a purpose and a calling on our life. And Father, uh, that's different for all, for all of us. But Father, we pray that we would live up to that calling. And Lord, that you would use us in, in a great way and continue to use us for your glory here through our church here in Redwood City, that we would see many more come to know Christ. Father, that you would call people to this place. 
Lord, that's, that's what it's going to take. We, we can invite people, but Lord, when you call people, we know that boy, there's something behind that. And so, Lord, we, we ask for that. And we thank you for your faithfulness to our church as we stand firmly upon the word of God. And we desire to teach without compromise your truth. And we pray that that will be honored. We know it will be. And we just ask that you would um, uh, do that revival in our own hearts. And we, we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.